Hey, I'm Murad Darji, product owner for our North American market at BNR. Uh, I also help our global product management team with uh, software products like Automation Runtime and Automation Studio. And to me, automation is inevitable and beautiful. Embrace it. Hey, and welcome to today's episode of This is Automation. Uh, today we've got Farad Darji uh, in the studio with us. How's it going, Farad? It's going great. Good. Um, so I think we heard a little bit about what you do in the intro, but can you just give us a, a little bit of background about yourself, some of your history, um, specifically with BNR? So I, uh, by education, I'm an electrical engineer. That's what I studied. I majored in, in power system. But after graduating from the university, I have been working only in automation industry for almost nine to ten years now. So, so that's what I worked in. And uh, I started out with a non-woven manufacturer. So it was basically, in our world, uh, it would be like an end user uh, manufacturing a product. So so I worked there initially for a couple of months and then um, I ended up working for a machine manufacturer for about, about three years. And I have been with BNR for eight years now, uh, working in, in different roles. I started out in, in product support, uh, then I was a, a senior product engineer, and now I am a product owner mm-hmm. in this role. And product owner, what does that mean? Yeah, so my role is is mainly focused around introducing new technology into our North American market. And, and while we are trying to introduce these, these new technologies that we have, uh, we, we really have to work very closely with our sales team as well as with our R&D team. So, so with sales team, we're definitely trying to introduce new products. Uh, but, but when we are looking at these products and, and talking to our customers, we're also uh, trying, trying to find out that, that what are the, the features that are crucial for customers' success. And, and if our product doesn't have one of those features, then, then the idea is that we, we go back to our R&D and get those features implemented. So we can continue developing the products that are, that are basically the, the, the building blocks of, of customers' machinery and, and crucial for, for their success and their business. And what kind of products are you focused on specifically? Specifically, I'm, I'm focused on, on more of a software products. Mm-hmm. So, so I focus on Automation Studio, Automation Runtime. Uh, we have a new cloud-based product coming up, uh, Asset Performance Monitor. So I focus on that. Uh, and then, of course, Orange Box. It's already been released and out for a couple of years now. And we're also rolling out Machine Vision right now. So you've got quite a full plate. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about one of those or two of those, maybe we could say, um, about uh, IIoT, um, which is a buzzword that I think is bouncing around a lot of 
boardrooms, a lot of engineering management meetings. Uh, everybody's trying to figure out how can they implement IIoT and cloud and, and all these digital technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe to, to kick us off in the right direction and, and make sure everybody's on the same page, can you just tell us what uh, IIoT is and maybe what it stands for? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, when, when people say IoT or IIoT, I think I in front is is for industrial. So, mm-hmm. and IoT is Internet of Things. So, so basically, it's industrial Internet of Things, and that that's just one word, right? Uh, you you will also hear just IoT, or you will also hear cloud computing, cognitive computing, cyber physical systems, and then then you go to uh, somewhere like Germany, and they'll say Industry 4.0. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's completely different word. <laughs> and uh, and then in, in in China, I mean, Industry 4.0 is is actually an effort of German government. Uh, they they launched this digitalization effort, and and it's like an umbrella brand that covers lots of things that are are technically uh, related to to computing and uh, and machine learning and, and all of it it's it's a, it's a big umbrella which covers a lot of things and now if we go to China uh, Chinese government has pretty much a similar type of uh, initiative that they have launched but then they call it made in China 2025. So, so from U.S. to to Europe and then to China, when you when you travel around the world, you will hear lots of different words. Uh, but to me, in our industrial world, everything falls under industrial Internet of Things. And for those people not familiar, what is just Internet of Things? It's more of a like consumer type approach to this connectivity. Is that right? All it means is that well, you got a device and and put internet on it or put it on internet, right? Sure. So so you bring connectivity to the device. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a toaster, and yep. <laughs> uh, and you can put the bread on it before you go to sleep, and in the morning it detects that hey, uh, Corey is awake now, and Corey's taking a shower. Now Corey has taken a shower. So he's going to come down and have his breakfast. So the toaster actually starts preparing the toast. Yep. But and, but it's it's all connected. It, right. it knows where you are, how things are and then makes smart decisions. Uh, when we translate that into the industrial world, there's mm-hmm. obviously a lot more complexity uh, that comes with that. You're working with not just a toaster, but mm-hmm. large complex industrial machinery and there's safety, even more safety concerns mm-hmm. perhaps um, in in the industrial world. Um, but maybe before we get into all that, could you just talk a little bit about the history of IIoT and kind of where it comes from? We, we are a slow-moving industry. So first, mechanical systems, they, they started getting built in, in 1784. And then, then over, over time, there were production line. But by the time we ended up getting production line, it was almost 1870s. And, and then, then since 1870s, we have had production lines, but by the time we actually put them on, on some kind of digitalization platform, uh, it was 1969. And, and that's when the first PLC was, was basically invented and, mm-hmm. and, and machine was using a PLC. And, and from that point on, uh, there have been changes to PLC systems, but, but now we're in, in the fourth phase where, where we're actually uh, putting our machineries 
on the internet in a way, providing it the connectivity. So, so for example, I mean, I mean, imagine that that you go on a website and and order your shoes, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as the order is placed, that order will get shipped into some type of database and as soon as it's in the database that recipe of whichever shoes that you picked actually gets sent to the machine so the machine is connected to a system that's giving it feed of the live data and live recipes are actually getting loaded on the machine and then it's manufacturing the shoes so as soon as that's manufactured the machine also sends a notification out to a uh, some system where it says, hey, it's already manufactured. So that system will actually send you a notification saying, hey, you ordered these shoes, it's been five hours, but you know, we just made it and mm-hmm. we're shipping it to you. You're going to get it in two days, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, the like level of customization that IIoT can, can enable, like you're saying. I mean, and I think you see it more and more, this like concept of mass customization. And we talked about it in the ACPOS track episode and how, how that's a technology that's enabling mm-hmm. it. But I think... IIoT is is another important part of that because you know having the tech the, the underlying hardware technology to enable that is one part but you also need the connectivity to, mm-hmm. to be able to place that order and then get your custom shoes shipped in in two days so so you kind of um, we're talking about an architecture where you've got uh, the machines you know on the on the factory floor and then you've also got this uh, infrastructure outside of that um, that's more focused on the connectivity and I think um, we would typically call that OT operational technology is, is kind of the manufacturing plant um, that was traditionally not connected. And then we've got the IT world, which most people are familiar with, where that's your you know inf- information technology layer. Um, and uh, so now we're trying to kind of bridge the gap between those. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe expand on the definitions of OT and IT and, and their yeah. uses? Yeah. So. OT is is basically our manufacturing floor. That's where you find the machines. And and traditionally, what I, I have been to so many manufacturing facilities, and what I have seen is that that there is either some kind of friction between the IT guys and the guys on the floor, or or there is complete disconnect. They don't they don't come in our factory and, and IT guys can't can't touch my PLCs mm-hmm. and uh, and IT I mean there is Ethernet port on it so IT is definitely not happy <laughs> anything can go wrong there so there there has that that's been the, the traditional picture that IT is is the the IT world that's where you find find the server the databases the websites everything and and there is no way it's it's gonna get connected to the machine floor because you know we want the machines to be running twenty four seven. That's been the, the traditional concept. But, but now with industrial IoT, what's been happening is that both of those systems are getting more and more interconnected at, at one level or the other. So, so I think the other thing that I also should say is that, that in past, there also have been systems that, that are called uh, MES systems, so mm-hmm. ma- manufacturing execution systems. And, and they also were a type of a bridge uh, between some type of IT and OT. So PLCs are basically getting the information from some kind of higher level database and executing whichever machine code needs to execute to get the product out and and also reporting it straight back to the web servers and and the databases that are out there uh, directly into IT Mm -hmm. space. So so both of the four 
the the world are actually converging. So I think going back to the definition, uh, I, IoT is is really the convergence point of IT and OT. And that works out well because it's IoT. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we look at kind of a typical um, IIoT application, could you just describe that at least at a high level and kind of the flow and, and how things are connected? I think I'll, I'll talk about this in, in such a way that what what if we were to build a an application yep. right now? How how would it typically uh, work out? Right. So I think I think the very first thing, and and this is very tech, from technical point of view, what you would really make sure first of all is well how how to establish the connection. Right. So you got a higher level system that's in the IT world uh, that has some information. Either you want information from it, or you gotta give some. Information to it, right? So, so you will have to find a, a protocol or something that that both system talks. If it's a RESTful interface, if it's MQTT, it doesn't matter which which protocol you you really end up using. But you will have to actually find uh, something that works mm-hmm. for for both sides of the devices. And so, basically, the, the number one step is linking. You gotta link the systems. Uh, once that system is linked, uh, if that system is providing information, then, then you'll be basically collecting the information. So so we're going to take a basic example of, for example, machine status, right? So now my machine's reporting machine status to my database, and we're actually displaying it on our website. So so we know that, hey, our, our manufacturing facility is, is running right now. And, and so you link and then, then you start collecting the information. After you start collecting the information, uh, over time, you're going to build up some data after three, four, five months. Then, then the idea is to actually analyze the data and, and, and look at it, how exactly uh, things are running. And then when you analyze the data, uh, some type of pattern, pattern will actually emerge. You might be either looking for a pattern, and if you're not, uh, you will have to detect a pattern that's inside the data. So so after looking at one month of, of machine status, I realized, well, uh, every Saturday, things are just not running well. They're running at 80% efficiency or less. And and rest of the days, it's just been running fine. What is going on? So, so the idea would be to link, then collect the data, then analyze the data, and after you analyze uh, whatever analytics uh, comes out of it, uh, you really got to act smart on it. When you talk about that analysis layer, mm-hmm. where does that typically happen? Is that typically a person identifying trends or is that some sort of software? It depends. You can make it as fancy as you want, right? Mm-hmm. So you can make it as simple as, hey, these are the things I want to understand and that person will write some kind of SQL queries and generate some some reports and you're going to read through it, mm-hmm. right? It, mm-hmm. it could be as boring as that or <laughs> it could be as fancy as that, well, uh, now you have all the data, you drag and drop through things and it gives you some visual layout uh, that that really makes sense to you. And, and just by looking at it visually, you can say, hey, this is the problem right now. We got to fix it, right? So it, it can be very fancy as well. But depending on the, the ease of use you want, uh, the mm-hmm. amount of work required during implementation or the amount of third-party uh, software help required on it will vary. 
Yeah, of course. Um, so, so let's break down some of the terminology mm-hmm. that's typically bouncing around when, when people are having these IIoT conversations. We already talked about IIoT is, is probably the first term that we should learn. But can you just talk us through uh, what, what are the most important uh, terminology, maybe like the different types of, of IIoT? There are different types of services that are available in the market. You got infrastructure as a service, then platform as a service, and the third one is software as a service. And and depending on the the type of product you use, uh, there will be different difficulty level associated with it. So, so you, for, we're going to start with software as a service, right? Uh, when I look at, for example, Gmail, it's, it's software as a service. I go on gmail.com, put in my username and password, it logs me in. Now, I'm logging it through my phone. I went to a, a public internet place, and then I'm trying to log in, and it's going to say, hey... Your username and passwords are right, but you know, it might not be you. Can I can I make sure? Can I send you a text and verify it? Right. Now everything's just done for me. When I signed up for Google, uh, G- Google's Gmail, it's all all done, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's really a software as a service. When you log in, you you get pretty much the entire your software that's ready made to use. You just you put username and password and everything else on the back end. Everything is just just prepackaged and ready for you. And that's software as a service. The the second one is platform as a service. So so you go on a platform like like AWS and then you decide that hey I want to use this database type of system. Even inside database you can say, you know what, I know uh, this this obscure database called MariaDB is gonna work awesome, and uh, and you can pick and choose what kind of services you want. Now you really need to understand how database works, how to save data inside a database very securely as well. Uh, there are different things that you need to worry about, and then there are infrastructure as a service. So you just go on it and say, hey, I need this server. I'm going to run this server and it's going to run with XYZ system. And then you're going to load either your OS and they're going to load or they're going to give you standard OS image. And then you're going to make sure you secure the OS and then you will have to your database, uh, install database on it and then run it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's called infrastructure as a service. So these are the main, main services. When you're looking at the different types that you just mentioned what would drive someone one way or the other so the first uh, thing that i would i would look at is how fast i want my iot solution up and running right Mm -hmm. uh and how much how much bandwidth that i have right so so i would i would look at for example hey i need to get something up and running uh, probably within weeks we're talking about weeks you really, really should pick something that's software as a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're talking about months, I would say, yeah, you can probably use platform as a service, but you're you're looking at probably months into the digits because you really have to architect something, build something. Uh, maybe you'll prototype it the first time and then, then you you may do some kind of like architecture revision on it and and then rebuild it as as the final product uh, that you will be uh, providing to someone or selling it but it's really in months Uh, when we are talking about infrastructure as services it it can take uh, longer than platform as a service so i guess the the driving factors are a time and then b 
level of comfort for for the company that that's putting this together maybe if there's not a strong it team then they probably shouldn't be doing infrastructure as a service and taking on that big project that's right yeah Yeah. i would i would highly recommend to avoid that type of situation Mm -hmm. if you got a an it team that's that's not uh competent enough with the the way uh, the latest IoT products that are out there, uh, they haven't already worked with with couple of cloud services. Then, then it will be disastrous to to actually start a new project and pick somebody who's providing just uh, infrastructure as a service and, mm-hmm. and think that uh, it's just gonna start up and running within a month. If you're thinking that, that's that's gonna turn into disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, an- another term is cloud. Um, mm-hmm. So I was hoping you could maybe provide some clarification. When we talk about cloud, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's uh, a massively parallel processing system that's that's out there up on the internet, right? And and you can pick whichever provider you, you want, but, but at the end of the day, they got data centers and there are a bunch of computers running on it. And your system is connecting up to to a data center of your cloud provider and exchanging some type of information to it. So talking about all this connectivity with uh, things going into the cloud, I think the, the, the natural next step, or at least the logical next step, is that some of the computing that we're seeing you know, on PLCs may get pushed into the cloud at some point. Um, so what's your opinion? Are PLCs going away in the future? Not really. I I don't I don't see PLCs going away in in your future for for a couple couple or, or even long future for for lots of reasons. Uh, the the very first reason is is that PLCs the job of PLCs is, is to do real time control, and when you are communicating all the way up to the cloud, there is going to be some latency in that communication, and that's just not tolerated in the PLC world. So I definitely don't see PLCs going away. But what I see is that PLCs will get smarter as time goes, right? So more advanced level functionalities uh, will become inherent part of PLCs. So so if we go back in the days, I mean, if you find uh, maybe 10, 10 years ago, if you find a PLC that provided uh, some kind of like FTP client on it, it was a big deal. Oh, you got <laughs> FTP connectivity. Oh my gosh, everyone will jump on it, right? Uh, now it has become a very common feature. I mean, if you got a PLC, it doesn't have FTP communication. What, what are you talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so, so what I what I definitely see is that the this, this PLCs will get smarter and more secured as as time goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. But they're that, not going away. Yeah, I, <laughs> sure. There's there's no way around it. I think yeah. When you when you talk about the network latency, even with super high speed networks with fiber and five G, there is a point where you have to draw the line where we're looking at microsecond reactions mm-hmm. to safety events. Where you need the hardware on site. That's right, and I think the the other point that I, I should also talk about is that typically does, doesn't matter which cloud provider you pick. The way uh, any any cloud system works is that that you you pay for pretty much three things. The way I categorize them, 
uh, data going into the cloud, then data coming out of the cloud, and the things that you compute inside of the cloud, right? So you're paying for three things, data going in, getting computed, and then data getting out. Mm-hmm. Now, would you send all of your signals all the way in the cloud, get some kind of computing done, and then get those signals back all the way on your machine floor? The idea is, no, you know what? I'm just going to run a PLC right here. I don't want to send all the data. What I want to send is is definitely maybe which recipe needs to run. I definitely need that exchange happening to the cloud. Maybe a machine status would be nice because based on the machine status, maybe I can write some algorithm and say your order will be ready in next eight hours. Right. We can do that. Uh, so, so I think it would be ideal to to exchange only important information between the PLC and the cloud, and an amount of data. If the PLCs go away, then the amount of data will will just be a lot between between cloud mm-hmm. and and the edge. So, so I don't see PLCs going away. We kind of have already touched on this um, a, a little bit, but can you talk about how the typical cloud uh, application is constructed? Typically, uh, there's always some kind of modular approach that's that's taken with with a cloud application. So whenever you're uh, constructing it, really uh, modularize your system. The more uh, structural you man- modularize your system, the better uptime that you will get from your system. And when we talk about these modular services, could you give a couple examples of what those might be? There are multiple services that are out there. So I have worked a lot with with Azure and I'm going to give a couple of examples that that are part of Azure. So if you want to run a website, they they call it web app. Uh, You can put part of your website into one web app and the other part of your website in the second web app. So you could be running five web apps at a given time that are communicating to to maybe one web app or two that are serving as as the main GUI of your web application. Then then on the on the back end you you also have something called uh, stream analytics. So as the data is coming in uh, whether whether on on their IoT hub or some other data source uh, you can run the the database like queries on it at at real time. So as the data comes in, the query gets run on it, and then depending on the result of the query, it gets routed to whichever output that that you tell it to get routed to. And then even inside, once it gets to the output, you can also create further diversions the way you would want it, and that's called Event Hub. Event Hub is is a, a service that they provide. So so from your uh, stream analytics, you, you can put data into Event Hub and from Event Hub, maybe you decide to send an email directly to users or from Event Hub, you can route that to go as a notification on your website. You can decide how would you prefer to write it or route it. But there are there are different services that are available. And then these are the, the native Azure services. And then on Azure itself, there are also similar services being provided by, by third-party providers. We've talked about how a cloud application is very IT-centric, um, so I don't think it's it's a stretch in logic to say that um, your typical automation or controls engineer is, is maybe not the right person to focus on architecting a cloud application um, since their specialty is more on machine control. So um, can you talk about the different 
types of applications, cloud applications, and, and who is typically responsible for building them? And then at what point do you need you know, specialized people to come on board to work on these? Typically, the, the staff that you have at your manufacturing facility, uh, they will not be able to start from scratch and, and build an application. Uh, for that, if, if you are thinking of building a cloud application, it will be ideal to, to start with some third-party help uh, that already knows or have built a couple of cloud applications. That, that's a good starting point. Uh, the guys that, that you already have working in heavily in the OT field, uh, they will be best suitable to provide the requirements that are, are needed for your cloud applications. So, so they wouldn't be able to architect it, but they will be able to at least provide the requirements and say that, hey, this is how or these are the things that we would like to have in our cloud applications. Uh, typically, the, the help that you need, uh, even if they have, it, it'll be ideal, whichever cloud provider that you're going with, it, that help has already worked with that cloud provider. So so if I'm hiring somebody to build an app, if, if they have already uh, worked on AWS platform multiple times, then, then it'll be ideal to for me to, to stay in the same ecosystem. So we're working with all the cloud services that, that they are well familiar with. So they, they, they spend less time reading documentation and more time developing it. Another thing that comes up uh, quite a bit in the cloud conversation, the IIoT conversation is the topic of cybersecurity. And um, I, I think that's maybe you talked about how we're a slow moving industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons is, is just because of the level of risk to A, capital equipment and B, human life mm-hmm. and C, the global supply chain. Um, there's some pretty significant impacts if a machine goes down or a machine is compromised because of security reasons. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, always this balance of risk and reward of putting a machine on the Internet. Um, so can, can you talk about the importance of security and, and some of the things that you do to address that and then maybe some of the unique vulnerabilities to an IIoT application? So th- there are different uh, forums that are out there that, that you can use to, to understand what kind of security requirements that you should adhere to uh, where, when you're connecting your, your machines to a an IIoT applications or, or something. Uh, the, the first place where I would start at is called uh, Industrial Internet Security Framework. And, and that was put out by uh, IIC Consortium. So, so you go on their org website and, uh, and then that's where they have this framework available. And it really provides a good overview of, of what are the security vectors that are out there and, and what are the things that you should be focusing on. So you start from something as basic as, for example, hardware level, secu- level security. Uh, how do you make sure the hardware itself is, is secured? And then it says, hey, this is how you make sure your firmware is secured. And then the OS on top. And then your application. And on application layer, uh, there are different user rights and things that you will provide. And how would you secure that as well? So, so IIC uh, provides really good framework for it. I think that that's the thing that we should, you should definitely check out. Uh, the, the second thing that, that I've used quite a lot is OWASP. 
uh, Internet of Things project. So it's it's OWASP Internet of Things project, and and they also have an org website. They really provide like a list that hey, these are the ten things or twenty things that you really gotta watch out for, mm-hmm. and and they are. Uh, really open to interpretation as well that, hey, you should be securing X, Y, Z things, but how exactly you would be securing it and what are the things that you need to do in order to make sure that it's secured when you're using X, Y, Z, O, S, that's not described in it. So 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 OWASP's uh, checklist is, is pretty good, but, but it's a checklist. The steps that you really need to take, uh, they will be taken by experts. And, uh, and you re- really will have to make sure that they are, uh, are done. So, so the typical approach is that, that you make sure your uh, system is secure. You, you make sure your hardware is secure. And, and after that, uh, it's it's really I would highly recommend to go through a, a third party security audit. So there are so many companies that provide uh, security audit, and there are types of audits that you can get get done as well. But but it's highly recommended to to build something and then then get it audited by a, a completely uh, third party entity. So, so they don't know how things are built. And if they come up with XYZ vulnerabilities, then we will have to address those things either at a hardware layer, at a software layer, and, and fix them before we actually release our uh, cloud application or cloud product to, to the mass market. Yeah, I think IIoT and cloud security is uh, an interesting topic, uh, like you mentioned, because of the different attack vectors on both the OT side and the IT side coming together. It's not something that traditionally has been evaluated holistically. And uh, now you're exposing new attack vectors by, you know, combining these systems. So it's definitely an interesting problem. We should probably talk about it separately in a different episode. Maybe we could talk for probably a couple hours about cybersecurity. Definitely. Um, so, so transitioning back more to IIoT, um, we've talked about how an application is architected and, and who typically would app, uh, architect it and um, lots of different things surrounding it. But what are the actual use cases for IIoT in the industrial world? Lots of use cases, lots of use cases. So, so we're going to cover a couple of them right now. Uh, the first one is is fleet management, right? Uh, I have lots of machines that are out there on my manufacturing floor. Uh, I want to know how they're how they're running. Uh, are they making good products or not? Are they they're making bad products? Then uh, um, I want to be able to fix those problems relatively quickly, so so we can get more good production. And I I categorize all of them under under fleet management. I want to manage how my machines are getting operated at any given time. Uh, that, that's very first use case. Now, now the second one is, is very interesting. And, and I've seen that, that uh, use case with, uh, with BNR hardware as well. It's predictive maintenance. So, so we're monitoring something and, uh, and then we're, we're looking at, for example, something as simple as vibration or, or temperature. And, and as those parameters, those values that are being read getting changed, we, we detect that, hey, there is a bearing failure right now. So, so even though the machine is running just fine, 
and we don't hear anything, uh, the, the bearing is doomed to fail within next two weeks. And at that point, it would be ideal to schedule that into the next maintenance cycle and change that bearing out so we don't have an unplanned downtime further down the road within a week. That's that's the second use case of it. Uh, this This third one is, is pretty simple. I mean, you might want to provide some remote access your people right to to the the people who can actually uh fix the machine relatively quickly so you're gonna have uh, a maintenance personnel at the shop floor uh, but they may or may not understand how entire machine works together they may not understand every single uh, rungs that's in your letter logic so if you want to provide some kind of remote connectivity to the the machine builder who actually build this machine and they build this set of machines pretty much every day uh, it'll be ideal to provide that remote access to them uh, I, i've also seen iot use cases in terms of just data logging People just wants to log data and then, then look at it over time. And, and this could be just for tracking purpose, especially in pharmaceutical industry. It's important mm-hmm. to, to log pretty much everything that's, that's flowing through the production line. And, uh, and IoT could be, could be, IoT connectivity could be very, very helpful in, in those kind of situations. I, the other interesting use case that I've also seen of our IoT technology is, uh, advanced notification so so when i say advanced it's, it's really advanced so so for example uh you got this operator a logged in right now uh that person does not necessarily have to stand right next to the hmi screen uh they can walk around they can go go on a break for 10 minutes and then then come back and machine will still be up and running now uh when i say advanced notification what it means is that when that person is is away from the system it already knows that hey this person is actually not at this location if something goes wrong with the machine it sends a text message out to that person it says hey machine is down right now so advanced notification is i think one of the the most popular uh, use case that i i have seen let's say i'm interested in getting started with an iiot application where is the best place to start and how do how do I get an IIoT project up and running? Start from the goals. Decide how we're going to make more money, right? So so start from the business goals. If you have a clear business goal in mind, then it's easier to construct the IoT application. Yeah, and I think once you have the business goals in place, that will dictate what type of solution you need. And then that type of solution will then dictate the skill set you need. Maybe you can use your existing team or maybe you need to bring on a data scientist or something like that. That's right. Can you talk a little bit about in the BNR world specifically, if I wanted to kick off an IoT application, what would that look like? We will really have to see what your business requirements are, right? If you want to monitor a, a system and and get its data together and, and then ship it to your own uh Azure or AWS IoT solutions that you have, and then it's, it's more about status gathering and making sure if the system is in in an 
unplanned downtime or a planned downtime or how many one specific type of downtimes have occurred, right? How many times person opened the safety gate, things like that. If you want to monitor that, uh, Orange Box would be an ideal product to start with. Because with that, you can you can gather your, your unplanned downtime, your planned downtime, and, and the time your machine's running, as well as how fast it's running at a given time. So you're really calculating the OEE of the machine right there and, and reporting it back to your cloud system. So you can choose whichever cloud system you want uh, with Orange Box. And a solution called Asset Performance Monitor. And, and with that, you're gonna get an edge device that is running right next to your machine and and reading OPC UA tags and, uh, and reporting the available tags up in the cloud. And now from your cloud portal, you can create your own customized dashboard. You really don't need to have any programming experience whatsoever. You really, to, to get this whole system up and running, you need to know zero, zero things about programming. Um, you just decide which widget you want. So you can say, hey, I want a donor chart or a pie chart or a line chart. You drag and drop it and say, link this to this OPC variable one. And it starts up and running. It's quite easy to get started with it. Good. Any final closing thoughts on IIoT or um, other considerations people should uh, be looking at when they're, they're picking a solution? Long-term availability. I think that's that's one of the biggest things that I've seen in last uh, couple of years because there are so many IoT solutions provider that have emerged in the market. Uh, there are are so many startups that are out there, right? Uh, and 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 depending on on on, on the business trajectory that they have taken on uh, they may end up with a, a different result or they may end up focusing on a different market later on as well and and when you are starting an IoT application uh, i mean you you guys come from our industrial world so so you know Machines once once machines are installed, they they run on the factory floor for for at least 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So so it's important to make sure that the IoT systems and, and the IoT provider that we pick, uh, they're gonna stay out there in the market for for at least five to ten years. That's that's bare minimum. Well, thanks, Varad. I really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you taking some time to uh, talk with us about IoT. Uh, in future episodes, we're going to be diving into other exciting topics and common questions in automation. Uh, we've got episodes lined up on machine vision, robotics, uh, and a couple special episodes that you should definitely keep an eye out for. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed it, let us know by leaving a review and a comment. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me uh, or have an idea for the show, you can reach out on LinkedIn or by email at automationpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have some spare time and want to learn more about IIoT, Asset Performance Monitor, or Orange Box, make sure you check out the BNR website, which is br-automation.com. 
And of course, you can always check out the BNR YouTube channel. Uh, just search BNR Automation in YouTube. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on This Is Automation. <laughs>